Welcome to CypherVision and today's episode, Democratization of Innovation. I'm Nigel Schweitzer and joined by Francesca Lavoie. How are you today, Frankie? I'm good. I'm interested to hear how we're bringing a bit of politics into innovation. Not only politics, but wedding anniversaries. Today's guest is Keith Bergelt, CEO of Open Invention Network. And somebody has also said you've just celebrated your 40th wedding anniversary. Congratulations. Thanks very much, Nigel. Keith, thank you so much for joining us today. And I do think you're the first guest that we've had on our Cypher Vision podcast who's actually been a diplomat before. So having dangled that little carrot for our, our listeners, I ask you to tell us a little bit about your background and how diplomacy and IP and democratization all come together. It's a pleasure to be here with you today and to be able to talk about things that are really important to me, which are technology, how we innovate, how we grow the capacity to create new novelty in a society. And so all of that is bound up in this notion of democratization. So to back up a little bit, coming out of law school, I had this idea that I didn't want to practice law. I think I understood that after first semester, but it was a good discipline. But nonetheless, it's come in handy with a lot of the things that I do on a regular basis. And so I, my first 15 years were focused on the idea of freedom, the idea of making the world safe for democracy. The thing that I was focused on was Eastern Europe in particular, having been a history major and a political science major and undergrad. And so I did that until the wall came down. I was in Tokyo. I was in New York and the UN for an assignment. I spent some time before my Tokyo assignment in San Francisco in the Bay Area and working and talking with leaders of Silicon Valley to understand what they needed from someone who's going to be in the middle of a very important space. And then I went into the private sector and started to focus more on the topic of innovation, which had always captured my attention because I'd been in and around inventors and business leaders in the technology space for a number of years. I went to business school and I focused on how do I make a difference or how was I going to participate in guiding and stewarding the next opportunity for innovation to occur more radically than I'd seen this incrementalism that occurred, in, especially in successful companies that become complacent. That transition then led me into a number of different roles in private equity, hedge fund management, and ultimately led me to Open Invention Network, where I'm the CEO and have been for the past 15 years. So Keith, that does seem like quite a change from working for freedom of individuals to then becoming the CEO of Open Innovation Network. Can you maybe tell us a bit about the organization and why such a change for you? For me, it's really not a change in that regard. I see it as a thread that flows through from my origins in the public sector to now in the private sector, because OIN is a guardian organization. It preserves freedom of action, freedom to operate, and freedom to collaborate. If you think about the time in 05 when OIN was formed, Microsoft had pitted itself against open source, and it represented a monolithic threat because of its significant patent portfolio and its explicit threat from its CEO down through the ranks of the organization to utilize patents to slow or stall the progress of Linux and potentially make it untenable for large companies to adopt open source technology because of this looming threat of patent litigation. And so it represented this really interesting parallel between the world I'd lived in the public sector to now a private sector. In the private sector, we're trying to 
allow people to come together to collaborate, to create new novelty in a way that just those siloed invention activities that I mentioned previously couldn't possibly approximate. And so I looked at this and said, wow, this is really resonant. There was this theme of, of wanting to see the maximization of human potential. How do we distill the collective intelligence of an organization, of multiple organizations in an industry? And how do we break down barriers? People want to be able to participate, but don't want to have to be dislocated socially and culturally. And so what open source allows us to do is to bring the outside in, to learn and bring technologies together and build on each other's ideas, but we can do it remotely. We can collaborate to compete more effectively. It's about collaboration, sharing, and the idea that we can build on each other's ideas to create something we couldn't create independently. When I think back to some of the guests that we've had on Cypher Vision, we've interviewed a few economists as part of the podcast, whether it's uh, Jonathan Haskell or Barrett Lev, who, who wrote the book named the, the End of Accounting, was very much that intellectual property is something that a, an organization owns that helps it advance. That almost seems to be an opposite thought in terms of when you're thinking about open source, where you're having this collaboration. Can you put open source, collaboration and intellectual property in the same sentence. It seems like they're diametrically opposite. And Nigel, I might ask you to comment on that one first. Well, I've never thought of patents as a negative right. I know that was what was taught to Keith in the three years of law that he made it through. But I think it's the building block, the foundational element to all innovation and to all progress in today's digital age, fourth industrial revolution. So let's go and put a really direct question to Keith. I mean, you're not attacking intellectual property in open source. You're simply using it in a different way. I very much agree, Nigel. I think we talk about intellectual property in the community of intellectual property professionals and technologists as enabling. It's a more constructive way to approach licensing, and it can be beneficial to you because then you'd have the rights to produce the product that you're producing. We tend not to talk about it as a negative right, but sometimes it gets manifested that way. There's really just been an evolution of how we use intellectual property because open source now is a building block for so many different platforms. In fact, Every platform in the world, whether it's the iOS platform that Apple runs, which is notoriously proprietary, it's sitting on lots of open source code. There's lots of Linux inside the stack that makes up the iOS platform. You can't escape from it no matter how much your intent is to be proprietary. And pretty much every organization that touches software now is utilizing some open source code. And so with that as the reality, and more and more of is the trend going forward, this idea of collaborative development and innovation happening through software, we have to kind of look at different ways of codifying what we know. What is important for our differentiation and where can we differentiate? The randomness of broad scale filings, I think that day is gone. We now have to be much more careful and thoughtful with the capital that we have to be in the intellectual property space to, to figure out that connection between differentiation and filings. Because what OIN does essentially is say that where we collaborate and need to build on each other's ideas, the core of open source functionality, that's the place that we shouldn't be suing each other. 
but everywhere else, if we want to have patents, that's our choice. And we want to find differentiation utilizing patents, that's that's the prerogative. I think it's taken a mind shift for intellectual property directors at organizations to become more precise, more careful, more focused. But I think shrinking budgets and times like we're in right now really start to kind of get help with this refocusing activity. I have met over uh, 4,600 IP directors at different organizations around the world during my 15 years of doing this for OIN. And that's not a record, but that's really significant because I've seen this evolution. The people that I think that I really respect that get this understand how open source is influencing innovation but are not trying to get in the way of it or to control it or to capture it, but rather trying to make choices about where they can file and utilize scarce resources to be able to develop differentiation, to be able to support growth of of products and services that provide some uniqueness that tie together with business models and pricing and, and everything else that allow for product to be differentiated in the market. Keith, earlier on, you talked about OIN and Open Invention Network and guardianship in the same sentence. For our listeners who maybe are not familiar with OIN, could you describe how the organization works? Sure. In 05, IBM, Red Hat, Novell at the time, Sony, NEC, and Philips got together. Google and Toyota have since joined as as funding members. But the original founding members got together to attempt to create an opportunity space for large companies in particular that were somewhat reluctant in the middle of the last decade to adopt open source. And while IBM had figured it out in 99 and made its first billion dollar investment in open source, that wasn't necessarily something that you saw many other companies doing in that timeframe. Open source has been around a long time, 35 plus years now, but its real growth has occurred in the last 12 to 15 years incredible growth in new technology areas that we don't even consider to be software-centric, such as heavy machinery, manufacturing. And so this growth has occurred because companies have felt greater comfort that they could utilize open source technology without fear of litigation. And they have that because OIN essentially has no business model other than to be able to support freedom of action and freedom to operate. And so it is a model where Companies agree to participate in a cross-license around a technology zone that is developed by OIN from the outset and has been expanded on 11 times over the 17 years of its existence. And it's expanded because it needs to keep up with the growth of open source. We are a trusted guardian to expand the scope of that license so that we can ensure that it is up to date and that patent risk mitigation is occurring because we're expanding the scope. This, what we call the Linux system definition, defines the scope of the cross-license. And everyone that participates agrees that where they have patents that read on the the functionality captured in this definition, that they will cross-license each other, those patents, and they will forbear litigation. And so in some sense, it's a new model to support collaborative development, but one that we've actually been approached about porting to other technology areas because people want to look for ways to avoid conflict. They want to create this freedom of action. They want to create fluidity and de-risk their participation in new technologies that are rapidly developing and being deployed. And so OAN is a guardian by stewarding this license and bringing now almost 4,000 companies 
some of the largest companies in the world together to encumber their patents for the greater good. Collaboration is the modality that underlies open source. And that's where I've always seen the power of this whole movement. I think it's so great to see collaboration working in such a way and the results that you've managed to achieve in terms of how many members you've got as part of OIN. Nigel, should we be looking at this approach to guardianship in other forms of innovation to get that collaboration? And I think we do. Other guests on the series have included Ken Seddon, who's the CEO at Lot Network, and Dan McCurdy, who's the CEO at RPX. The thing about intellectual property is it gets a bad reputation. It's kind of thought about as a weapon. But I encourage everyone to rewind five minutes and to listen to the last five minutes of this podcast where Keith explains it's an instrument. There are forces at work which are called competition, and there are forces at work called collaboration. And intellectual property being intangible can be molded to serve both. So I don't see a conflict at all. I see actions and reactions. I would agree with that. To me, it's just a natural evolution to allow us to focus on value. 15, 20 years ago, when I was working in open source and seeing that transition that was really starting to happen, watching the inventing activities, and I'm thinking, why aren't we more careful, more thoughtful about how we use capital to be able to create differentiation through intellectual property? And I, I love what I'm seeing now. It's, it's quite different. Chinese companies are probably the biggest adopters of open source and participants in open source projects over the last seven years. They've understood and followed in the wake of what the Japanese have done starting 20 years ago and the Koreans have done starting 15, 16 years ago. It's an evolution. And how the thinking is evolving is really interesting because it's, it's not that we didn't have smart, thoughtful people before this. But this is challenging us, and the best of the people in this community are really adapting and growing and leveraging intellectual property and making the CFO very happy because they're using less capital to do it. That brings us really nicely on to discussing what the future holds. That's fascinating to think about what's happening in, in other parts of the world. But what does the future hold for OIN? We'll continue to grow our community of open source software. But what we're also looking at right now is emulating what we've accomplished in software in a new growth area, which is open source hardware. An example of this is RISC-V. It's the whole idea of hardware, software, co-design and simulation, being able to tape out chips and get exactly what we want in terms of functionality, storage, speed, rather than being sub-optimized by this, this system. It's not that Intel has had a desire to sub-optimize us or AMD or anyone else. It's just that they're producing generic chips that you have to build around. And I think we're seeing so many companies now, whether it's the cloud companies in particular, these companies are all coming together to say, we want to do something unique. We want to create value in the supply chain by actually having our own chips taped out and then made by foundries. I mean, you see the growth in the foundry business at Intel as an example of understanding where the future is. And so now we're moving into hardware. We're seeing that there's this opportunity for the industry to be transformed. And I think there's an, an awareness by everyone, whether it's Qualcomm or whether it's ARM or whether it's the companies that are in Asia, that there's this great opportunity because of a shift that's occurring in the industry. 
I look at hardware as the next frontier and an opportunity space, whether it's in tooling or whether it's in actually design and development and production. This is an opportunity for collaboration to affect how we, by opening cores, we may invent something, we may design something, and then we make that design available to someone else so that they don't have to design something from the ground up. They can take elements, bring them together to be able to create the solution that they want in silicon. It's particularly relevant for me because it's coming full circle. When I was at Motorola, Back in that era, we were investing in a company called Transmeta, which was thought to be the company that was going to be able to bring this to to market. We thought it was just a few years away. It kept pushing out, pushing out. Here we are 30 years later, and we're finally realizing the benefits of what this vision that a professor at, at Berkeley had way back when. It's a transitional time, but it's an exciting time. And I almost see it as a form of manifest destiny for what I've helped create at OIN to now go from emulating what we've done in software in hardware. And so we're right now looking at creating an environment where a company like OIN can stand itself up that is there as the guardian of open source hardware, freedom of action, freedom to operate, and can encourage more adoption of component elements of chip design that coming together can create greater efficiencies and greater functionality. I understand the need to do that for hardware, but just to double check, for those listeners not familiar with OIN, Microsoft joined, does that mean that the risk to the software element has gone away? I'd say it's changed. The shift has occurred where companies like Microsoft, going from the monolithic threat to now a company that I consider a great ally in just about every new initiative, I consult Microsoft, I consult Google. I'm talking to lots of companies like that about how they might participate in enabling the next phase of patent risk mitigation as we go forward in hardware. And so the shift on software of risk is now moved away from companies that recognize their dependence and interdependence to now patent assertion entities. And so PAEs, they don't necessarily have an issue with open source. They just have a business model that supports monetization. They get an asset in one day. They want to monetize it the next day. It's a very simple, straightforward model. Nonetheless, it represents a threat because increasingly with the success of open source, there are more and more patents out there that can be used to target open source. Whether some of those should have never been granted, whether they're good quality, poor quality, there's a lot of things out there that have claims that look like they might read on open source functionality that's increasingly proliferating. And so we have, as a way of dealing with this, because we were largely created to focus on operating company risk, we have shifted since Microsoft came in and partnered with us and IBM and Linux Foundation to co-found the open source zone that uh, Unified Patents manages for us to be able to do ex parte reviews, do inter parte reviews, to be able to ensure that we can de-risk the space that PAEs live in, the, the PAEs are essentially creating noise in. We want to reduce the friction. We want to limit what PAEs can do to, to slow or stall the progress of Linux and open source at this stage. And so that's always a theme for us. That's our mission. 
I'm a very mission-oriented person. The organization carries that character with it because what we're looking to do is mitigate risk and encourage people to make good decisions. If they choose proprietary, that's their choice. If they choose open, that's their choice. But we want them to have that choice without anyone basically holding their decision-making hostage because of the control of patents. We always end each episode with a cipher vision, a sort of like a key nugget or takeaway you'd give to our listeners. Collaborative development is here to stay. It's a part of a social movement and open source is a critical driver in innovation in a way that we have never as a, a human population been able to master before. We have this incredible gift. We need to be able to protect it and we need to be able to put people in a, in a situation where they can participate no matter where they are in the world in this global program of innovation through open source. It's easy to mistakenly think of open source as a world without intellectual property. The existence of the Open Invention Network and its member organizations highlights the reality that nothing could be further from the truth. It was a time when the community that was driving the development of Linux faced existential threat from patents owned by organizations such as Microsoft who pursued more proprietary models. While attitudes have changed considerably, Patents still pose a real threat to open source innovation and more recently from non-practicing entities. Thank you, Keith, for your commitment to OIN and to the community that you have helped to build. OIN helps ensure intellectual property continues to serve all innovators and that patents are not used to stifle the innovation that is vital to the digital economy. Thank you, Keith, for the conversation. Thank you very much, Frankie and Nigel. Thank you for tuning in to the CypherVision podcast series. Please continue the conversation on social using hashtag CypherVision and share your thoughts about today's episode on democratization of innovation.